Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. Today, we're going to hear just how a social CEO gets built. Yes, today's chat is a rare opportunity for you to get under the hood on the origins, the design, the delivery, the roadblocks, and the benefits that leaders and advisors access when they decide to get active on social media. And we'll explore some of the foundational questions like whether leaders should get help online, what they must own, how to make time, and what skills their advisors need to help them get the best results when they do. So today, I'm thrilled to be joined by two guests on the show whose shared story is one of the more effective leader and advisor partnerships that I know. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Amanda Yates, former Deputy Director General at the Department of Transport and Main Roads in Queensland, and now CEO at Sun Central, and Rebecca Boone, Amanda's former colleague, counsel, and social media advisor at Transport, who is now the Manager for Communications and Engagement at the Department of Energy and Public Works in Queensland. Thank you both for joining me. Your first time in the YDR studio, Beck, and your second after our wonderful conversation about staying safe online, Amanda. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, it's absolutely a pleasure. And, and good to have the band back together, if I can start with that. It's great to have you both <laughs> in the studio and sharing the different sides of your stories. Now, you're both in different roles and organizations today, but you're here to share with listeners a bit about your joint journey through social media during your time at Transport and Main Roads, and which is not that long ago. So, can you start by telling our listeners, how did it all start? Do you remember the first time that you met to talk about getting Amanda up and running online and, and why? Actually, our origin story was actually out of COVID. So, I was asked to work in Amanda's office to support her in communications responding to the pandemic. So I joined her team virtually, as many did in their career changes at that time. And our, I guess, need to connect with people, our need to communicate really came out of showing up and supporting our people through that time. Initially, uh, Amanda had the idea of developing a podcast. So we uh, used that as a tactic to connect with people, to hear their stories, to empathize with the shared experience of, of the pandemic. And it was through that that we really started to unsurface some nuggets of um, support of people who were either thriving or not coping too well through the pandemic. And there was a lot of insights there that we really saw that could have a, an impact and resonate with a wider audience. So it was through that that we were looking at other channels to, to share that messaging. And that's why we ended up looking at LinkedIn. And Amanda, were you straight in when this was all going on or did you have any reservations at the start and you thought more, no, no, the podcast sounds like a good idea, thank you, or did social media engagement, was that a no-brainer for you? No, it definitely wasn't a no-brainer. I think, as Rebecca said, when the pandemic hit, we said we need somebody in the DDG's office who can help with connecting people. So we had 3,500 staff as well as the many thousands of other stakeholders, contractors, consultants who work with us on a range of things. And people were seeing things happen, restrictions come in, and then we would get hundreds of phone calls from people saying, can I still turn up to work? You know, what, what does this mean? So not just internal stakeholders, but external. So we desperately needed somebody who could lead that from the DDG's office. And Rebecca and I knew each other and had worked together a little bit, but we didn't know each other well. And I think what was fantastic is I sort of had a level of excitement and enthusiasm about, let's do this, Beck. And she would go, okay, 
oh, let me think about how we might be able to make that work in a way that really meets that goal and objective. So we didn't want to be really random. We didn't want to just sort of randomly put posts out and, and people go, what is going on in there? We wanted to be quite deliberate about sticking to that purpose of connecting with people. And I think we sort of started to build a strategy which became about getting to know me as, as a person, so some authentic personal posts, which then allowed people to or, or meant that people were coming in and looking at the things that we were putting out there that, that were more about the information that we wanted to provide to them as well. So I think we just came up with a strategy and it evolved over time where we were connecting with people on a human level in order to then be able to say to them, here's what we know and here's what you can do and here's what we want you to do. So, so that was sort of how it built really. It sounds like a great partnership. And as you said, it's important that people play different roles and that you can work well together. And, and I think that's a theme that is likely to come through today's conversation. And those listening, if you're sitting in the leader chair, you're sitting in the advisor chair, that partnership and the understanding of one another, I'm sure is going to come through as a critical message. But in those early days, I mean, you are literally building this from scratch. Not only that, you're building this from scratch in COVID times. So, it's not the easiest way to do, or easiest environment to do that. How did you divide and conquer in those early stages? How did you both decide this is what needs to be done and who's going to own what? Yeah, we really were building the plane as we flew it. And some of that was quite terrifying. And a lot of what we wanted to do, so we were working, we were both working in a government environment at that point. Now, understandably, in a government context, there are, there's a whole lot of governance around how you communicate internally and externally. and a lot of those approval channels and very traditional approaches to communication would not have worked for us. So we were pushing the envelope in a way that we had no idea whether people would accept, whether we would get shut down, whether someone would say, you're no longer allowed to do it that way. And I think, and we, we tried to do that respectfully and really mindfully of what our responsibilities for, as public servants were, but we had to approach it really differently. And I think what was fantastic was uh, the two of us have you know, as I said, we didn't know each other well, but we sort of built this rapport, understanding different backgrounds. So we brought different experiences into that shared approach. And I think we were just able to feed off each other really well. I agree. A lot of Amanda's style resonates with me personally. So it was very easy to connect in with her message, her values as a leader, and also to pick up on what was important to her from her strategic priorities or business priorities. So in terms of how we approached that, who looked after what element of her voice, in my thinking, Amanda very clearly owned her voice. She owned her values, her, those business priorities, their strategic objectives of herself as a people leader and both an organizational leader. And then I saw my responsibility as amplifying that voice. So finding ways to connect it to the people that needed to hear uh, her message or that would get value from hearing her message. And what about the frequency, I suppose, or the regularity with which you could produce and then distribute content or the time that you would set aside for engagement with audiences once you had put a message out there? How did you manage that workflow? How did you actually settle on a rhythm, if I can call it that? It's a tough thing to do, isn't it? Because you don't want to start and then stumble. So if you're going to commit to it, you have to make sure that you are meeting that pattern of regularity. It became very much that we had to plan out a lot of that. And we really needed to make sure that we had enough content there. So there was a lot of stuff that we were preparing in advance. So we had several months sometimes of content 
that we would then say, and then if there was something that was urgent that sort of came out or came up, we would work out how we slotted that in. But then we had to work out where did my voice come into that? And so there were a lot of things where I would randomly think of something. So we had a shared document where I would write one of my stories. Now, sometimes was that some of those stories I had written weeks or, or months prior to them actually being published because the messaging within that story, it was really important that that aligned with some of the other messages that we wanted to make sure that we got out. So that it was very much themed and deliberate. I think that's the important thing. And sometimes it doesn't need to be really structured, but it does need to be deliberate. And once you commit to that form of communication, I think you need to make sure that you do have that consistency in the frequency and the sort of communication that you have. We're also really fortunate to have many passionate communicators working across the business who really owned and crafted telling the story of their projects or their initiatives. And so they were off the back of their you know, day-to-day commitment. They were crafting stories that Amanda was able to share and advocate for on her platforms too. So it's interesting there. What I'm hearing from both of you is this idea that the regularity or the rhythm that you developed together that seems to be clearly enabled by the the structure, or if I can call it the kind of the purpose that you had behind what you're doing, which in turn was enabled by the strategy that you put in place. And that strategy, as you said, Beck, started right at the start in terms of COVID and, and the need that you had to not necessarily get on LinkedIn, not necessarily get on social media, but to find a way to connect with an audience that was very distributed and dispersed across the very wide state of Queensland, as we know. So trying to find a way to connect with these people and trying to find a way to share your human voice and side and views, Amanda. So I think what I take from that is it's so important to be needs and purpose-led in all this and for any leader to find their needs. Now, they'll have different ways of doing things. They may have their own style, if you will, their own voice, and they will have their own needs too. It might be staff engagement. It might be talent attraction. It might be attracting investment. But the important thing is to understand why you're turning up online. And I think what I'm hearing from your story is that there's likely to be a need for any leader. It's just a matter of defining what that is. So, Amanda, also, I suppose I'm interested to understand a bit more about the way that you work together. I think one of the things that you said earlier on, and one of the things I hear from a lot of leaders is you didn't really know Beck that well when you started working together, but that rapport between the leader and the advisor is crucial, not just in terms of technical craft and and trusting their advice, but also, as you said, Beck, understanding Amanda and knowing who she was. So, Amanda, what was so great about working with Beck? Was it more important that she understood the technical side, the channels, or that she understood you as a person? I think most definitely that she understood me and my values and what I was trying to achieve. So we purposefully developed together a strategy that was around connecting. So that was our reason for being. And I think towards the end of COVID, I went and worked for another organization as did Beck. Had we continued working together, I think we would have adapted our strategy because we moved through COVID and connection with people was still important. I think though that we would have said, radio, let's make a step change in what our purpose here is and, and what we're trying to achieve here. So I think your purpose is really, really important. I think what was really interesting about working with Beck is that I hear a lot of times from people, in fact, I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday about a leader in another organization and the person who was trying to manage the comms and stakeholder engagement was saying, this person just randomly got up and announced something that was just not part of the plan at all. And they were saying this person was incredibly difficult to manage in terms of keeping on message. And I think 
what bank and I managed to do, and as I said before, we, we probably took some risks um, that, that might not normally have been taken in a public sector context. And they weren't outrageous risks, but we just sort of started to push things a little bit. What we started to find, because I had always sort of, I love telling stories and I had enjoyed telling stories in an internal staff context. So I would put a story into a newsletter and I'd get lots of feedback that people liked it. And so we said, all right, well, how can we take that and make that part of the way that we connect with people on the other content that we want them to see? And what we started to find was if I put a personal post out that was about my own experience as a leader or my experiences in, in you know, managing my work context and my family context, people really enjoyed that content. And what we would see is we might have technical content where we would get sort of 200 impressions on it. If I had put a personal post out that got 5,000 or 10,000 impressions, instead of having 200 impressions on the content that we wanted people to see, it would be 2,000. So people were coming in and engaging with me as a person and then they were engaging with the content that we wanted them to see. So the strategy was really useful in going back to our original purpose, connecting. So we were able to connect with a lot more people because of that. And I think what Beck was able to do was then say, this is not about doing this in a random way. You don't just go, oh, I woke up this morning and I thought I would tell this story. It's actually been very deliberate and purposeful in the way you curate where those stories fit and how that fits into the overall message. There is an absolute talent and skill in that that cannot be underestimated. And so leaders shouldn't think that they can just go it alone and do this by themselves. They absolutely need somebody there, a professional there, to help them with that curation. And Beck, if I can ask you, Amanda's called out some really key success factors there and given you a nice pat on the back too. What would you say, if you could boil it down, some of the secrets to success from your side of this whole discussion? I think for me, again, that real clarity on objective, what's your purpose for engaging? I think some of the other elements come naturally to me as a communicator, like authentic voice or um, clarity of message or impact of wording or, or tactics. So those sort of things come naturally to me as a communicator. That's part of my craft or my skill. But I think definitely for me, what was successful for me was Amanda being uh, vulnerable and sharing with me her challenges or her leadership styles and then also her partnering with me early on and us developing those, I guess, uh, profiles or those key areas where she would show up and want to have impact. We're very fortunate to also have worked with a, a colleague, Christine Posthumus, who helped us really narrow in on those business objectives and how lending Amanda's voice to those could really have impact on our people and our programs of work. So for me, that was really impactful. And perhaps there's a, a practical tip in that for leaders where in order to get that genuine and real result, there is a need to partner with, like Amanda said, a professional communicator. There's a lot of value in that. And also being a bit vulnerable in your weaknesses or areas of your focus in, in terms of a leader and how you show up online. It sounds like in hearing both of you talk about the way you map things out and the way you uh, relied on one another and what worked best, it sounds like there's also a really good understanding of the role of channel and the expectations of the audience in that environment when we talk about social media and, and LinkedIn and how it might differentiate from other channels that you have. I suppose from a technical craft perspective and the communication advisor's perspective, Beck, how much 
influence or how much guidance did you have to give in terms of unlocking Amanda's stories in the most appropriate way for the social media environment? Or did you find that she was a natural storyteller there? It's certainly both. In listening to Amanda talk about her responses now even, she talks about some strategy and some crafting to it. And we certainly were purposeful, but in the same way, I was very cognizant of over curating or if I reviewed a draft of Amanda's, say, a post that she was looking to put up or even a story, an internal message, it would be very easy for me to critique it and change grammar or style to be what we would might know as, as more professional, more formal communication. But I think that takes off the authenticity of it. So I think it's important for me to point out that when Amanda talks about us being purposeful or strategic and curation, that was just steering the story in the right space and finding the right audience rather than us choosing the words that we think have impact. So there was always, always a prioritization on authenticity because that's where the real value is. And our strategy and approach was just to make sure it showed up at the right time for the right people to hear it. And I can absolutely attest because my spelling and grammar is atrocious and a lot of the stuff that Beck would have read when I put it into our shared document, she must have just been cringing. She did, you know, on occasion when the grammar was really bad or the spelling was really bad, she would fix it, but she did not change the way that I messaged things and that that must be really hard. But yes, that was part of my authentic voice and so therefore the number of times Beck would say to me, oh, <laughs> I don't know that I would have expressed it that way. <laughs> and that was all actually part of building that rapport, I think, as well. So it was all sort of part of building the trust. And But it was very funny at times, you know, Beck's sort of going, oh, wow, okay, well, we'll run with that, shall we? Often people would say to me, oh, did you write that story? Did you write that piece? And I would be like, do you think I would start each paragraph with the word so? Do you think that's uh, how I write as a communicator? Is that not good communication? Is that <laughs> probably you didn't learn that at uni? No? Okay. All right. Good to know. I might change that. I love starting paragraphs with so. You know, I just like that whole... It emphasizes your point. I'm feeling uncomfortable too. So I was thinking the other day, but it is very funny that, you know, there was a lot of that. I would tell stories in the same way that I would speak. So it was very conversational language and not very good grammar. And I love that because I do think that whether you're online, offline, whatever forum you're in, if you can hear the person, as in you hear their words in your head as they write them on the page, that's a real skill. And that authenticity cannot be replicated or outsourced to anyone. And I think I love personally, Amanda, and we're joking about the grammar side of it, but I love when I see leaders who they don't necessarily use the best grammar, but they've got those little quirks and nuances about how they write. Often it's a, a space and then a couple of exclamation marks kind of thing. They're their quirks and their style. And when you see that, you go, I know that's you. I know that's you behind the keyboard. And I think that actually really matters. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people who have seen some of the stuff that I write will see quirky, weird things that I do in terms of grammar. And like, I never use quotation marks. I just kind of randomly put other highlight points in there so that people should realize that, you know, I'm that quote that I'm, but you know, then other people go, that's not how you do it. <laughs> that's how I like to do it. So. <laughs> and you're just being authentic. Totally. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Now, whether this is your very first episode or you're a fully-fledged subscriber, I want to share an exclusive invitation with you. I want to invite you to join the one program that will help you take greater control of your digital reputation 
and help you kick some real goals on LinkedIn. It's our Your Digital Reputation LinkedIn for Leaders program, a one-month program built off the back of hundreds of conversations with leaders and 30,000 odd hours advising them on LinkedIn. By joining the program, you'll get access to a range of planning frameworks, best practice guidelines, and one-on-one coaching with me, Roger Christie, to help you avoid common LinkedIn mistakes and get real value for your efforts. All that value in just one month to ensure you're set up for success well into the future. So, what are you waiting for? If you're looking for a LinkedIn for Leaders program, feel free to hit pause on this episode right now and drop me an email at rchristie at propelgroup.com.au or go to www.propelgroup.com.au slash YDR for more details. I'd love to help you amplify your impact and show you just how powerful a business tool LinkedIn can be. All right, back to this episode. Now, you mentioned something earlier, Amanda, that I want to pick up on. And you talked about it. You mentioned that word risk. And it's something that I know, regardless of what you're doing on social media, there's a heightened awareness of everything that I say and do online. And risk is something that's a very real reality for leaders when they're operating in this space. There's positives to that and there's um, downsides to that when you're working in partnership because, you know, more moving parts can create extra risk. But I'm guessing it wasn't all smooth sailing throughout this whole journey. And particularly, as you said, for leaders working in the public sector or highly regulated industries, they can find it tricky to speak up online. What were the main barriers and, and challenges that each of you faced along the way and how did you manage them? I think one of the things that leaders need to be really conscious of is if you are going to put yourself out there on a platform, you don't ever get to be just you, the individual citizen. As soon as you put yourself out there, even if it is on your own personal page, you are always representing your organisation. People won't disconnect that and, and they shouldn't. And so you have to always be conscious that it's not just the risk you are taking as an individual, it's how you're showing up and representing your organisation. When I say, you know, we were taking some risks, I mean, we were really pushing the boundaries in terms of the approval process that you would normally go through to to get some of those things done. And we were sort of saying, okay, well, the stories that I was telling, for example, I think there were probably quite a lot of people within the organisation we both worked for at the time who were working in, in the communication space who might have thought they should have approved my stories. Now, if they had done that, my voice would have been lost in that. So we were quite deliberate in saying, look, those are my personal stories. We were very careful to make sure there was nothing that would ever really be a problem for the reputation of the organisation that we were working for. We also had to be really careful that we weren't randomly just releasing information that wasn't didn't have some other communication strategy associated with it. So we were taking risks. Now, I think the thing with a lot of organisations in social media, they try to zero out all risk and you can't do that. So you have to almost accept that you will run with a series of principles that so that you are managing the risk and on occasion you will have a problem that you then have to work out how you manage. And I think we had one example where there was some information that we put out, so some technical information rather than my personal post, some technical information that we actually thought was in the public domain already and wasn't and the CEO of the organisation had wanted to 
formally make an announcement on that information and, and we preempted that. Now, that wasn't fantastic and, and we had to sort of go and apologise to all of the people who were also working through another strategy. So there would have been 200 posts that we did and for those 200, there was that one example. So what you don't want to do is shut yourself down too tightly on the off chance that those 200 posts you put out are going to be a problem. And so work out how you can actually put risk mitigation in place and also be prepared to manage the one in 200 risk because it will happen and you just have to manage that as and when it comes, I think. And Beck, as the advisor in all this, you know, how did you manage risk from a technical craft perspective? Yeah, I think um, for me, I had worked um, for that agency or, or even now in the public service for a, a fair amount of time. So I had a heightened understanding of the need for governance and, and the structure around how we approve information to be released from the department. So I would say anything I put to Amanda, I was confident that it had already gone through a formal approval process. And so in that sense, we had our checks and balances. If it, if it was about a project or an initiative or a program of work, it had already gone through most likely a communications approval process. So anything that got over the line in terms of us entertaining it as an idea, and sometimes that meant um, there might have been a piece of infrastructure that was new or opened and we might have uh, been talking about it a month after it opened and that was just the case or the nature of an organisation as, as large as ours. But the intent behind Amanda acknowledging that project, say, completion was acknowledging the work of the people that contributed to it or the outcomes that we were looking to achieve. So, yes, and, and maybe I've, I'm potentially coming along and adding caveats onto Amanda's answers. We certainly were aware of the implications of communicating too early, potentially on some things, where we could and most certainly where it was needed, observe those processes. I think though, when Beck said there, you know, potentially adding some caveats onto that, I think the beauty of it was, you know, I would come along and say, let's do this. And then Beck would say, okay, that's good. And then we would fit that into a program at an appropriate time. So, and absolutely there were times that we were acknowledging things that might have happened a little while ago. Nobody ever said to us, why did you acknowledge that that late? I think people were just really pleased, particularly the people who are working on those projects. And at the time when our strategy and approach was about connecting with people, those people were turning up every day to workplaces. So they were sort of going, I can't work from home. So I'm putting myself at risk during a time when there are a lot of unknowns to build this infrastructure that is going to connect Queenslanders and to be acknowledged for not only all of the work that they did on that, but under those incredibly difficult circumstances, I just think was so important. We were trying to make sure that even if we had to leave things a bit later, that we were doing it in a way that still met the purpose that we were trying to achieve. So we're talking a little bit about process, the formal process of releasing information, but we also are challenged by that legacy of that idea that public servants can communicate directly with the public. So that was a challenge. I think Amanda's earlier examples were around why is Amanda speaking about those sorts of things? Why is she speaking up? Why is she having a loud voice in those topics? That was not so much about what she was saying. It was just the fact that she was challenging that legacy mindset that uh, public servants are to, you know, remain relatively closed off to the public or to external audiences. So we had 
two parallel, I guess, constraints. One, rightly so, in making sure we're, we're representing the department and doing our due diligence and what we spoke about, but secondly, in, in challenging the norms on how leaders communicate. I think, Roger, the other thing in terms of risk, and, and you and I spoke about this on the last podcast, but there were a couple of posts, the personal posts, which were more about my story, which became the subject of some pretty horrible online abuse. And so that, I think, is something else that leaders need to think about in terms of risk. The way I dealt with that versus the way I would deal with it after we did our podcast and I have had subsequent conversations with the e-safety commissioner, there are ways of dealing with that. So the easiest thing for me to have done at the time when that was happening was just to shut it all down and just go, I'm not going to subject myself to that anymore. And I think particularly female leaders need to be really careful that you don't respond in that way. So, so don't let other people shut you down because they have decided to, to interact inappropriately with you. It was a big risk to take. It took a lot for me to deal with that. And I think there are lots and lots of resources now and people are very conscious of that and there's lots of resources to support. And it is likely if you put yourself out there that people are going to express your, an opinion on what you're saying. And I think it's important to understand that up front and to not let other people push you off social media. It's important to not let that happen. So you're both sharing and I get the sense of the amount of effort that's involved here. You know, there are, um, as you said, Beck, there's legacy challenges that you're addressing. There's hierarchical or structural challenges that you're dealing with as well. And then the very tactical ones. And, and as you're saying there, Amanda, even on a, a post that has great intentions, the very unpredictable nature of the world that's out there and how they respond, there's effort here in what you're doing and why you did it and why you continue to do it. So obviously there was a reason why you kept going. And I'm keen to hear about some of those wins, some of those successes. What moments or successes stand out for you? Why did you keep going? Can I give you one really practical example? You know, we had a number of pillars that were important to us and sustainability and circular economy was one of those. So when you are delivering infrastructure and in, in the context we were working in transport infrastructure, you're not necessarily known for your environmental credentials. Well, certainly historically, we weren't known for our environmental credentials. Now, we put a post out one day that was talking about the fact that we were using crumbed rubber from recycled tyres, putting it into road base, and that not only were we able to do that, but we were achieving much better outcomes in terms of the longevity of that material than what we had from traditional approaches. We were contacted by one of the big mining companies who were telling us the amount of tyres that they bury on a regular basis. And it's a lot. You know, they, they go through a lot of tyres and, and that they have all of the, the approvals in place to dispose of those. And they were saying, look, we've got an opportunity for a feeder source here of material. Can we come up with some kind of partnership? Now, had we not put that out there on social media, we would not have made that connection and we would not have come up with some of those outcomes. And so I think the number of times we saw people connecting with our material or the posts we were putting out, everything we were, we were communicating and that translating to outcomes that met the pillars we were trying to achieve, it was phenomenal. There are many, many examples of that where people went, oh, I noticed you were doing this. I think there's an opportunity over here. It, the business development that we had from it was phenomenal. 
Yeah, definitely agree with Amanda's words there. We were able to see some real return on investment of time. And I know that's usually a barrier for leaders, that commitment of looking at, um, say, LinkedIn or, or other communications channels as just another thing to do. And um, in that example, and there were many others, that there's real value that translates into those clear business outcomes in, in using tools like LinkedIn to to speak to scale or to put a a voice or a message out there and the person who's looking for that to find it and and resonate and connect with you. I guess a success or or a real value for me was being able to tell the stories of our people. And Amanda is an incredible advocate for diversity of voices, diversity of in all ways showing up in our workforce. So for me, I had the benefit then of speaking to so many people with diversity of, of in all forms and celebrating them and the work that they contribute to our sector, particularly public sector, but also infrastructure sector. So those stories were what stood out for me and being able to give them a platform and, and share their value was what kept me going or, or kept me engaged and passionate about the work that we did. I love that. And it's so powerful, Beck, isn't it? Because there really are so few other channels where you can do that, where you can share that human side in a regular, everyday kind of way. And they're important stories and they're often stories that aren't heard. So there's some wonderful successes and things that you can look back and celebrate on. I'm keen to also know when you look back, and particularly for those who might be at the start of their journey as you were a couple of years ago through COVID, what would each of you say are your number one learning or your number one encouragement for people who are at the start of that journey? So I think my number one encouragement is probably to say, make sure that you start with why. So why are you wanting to do this? Don't do it because somebody tells you you should. So find the reason and the authentic reason that you can connect to that you really want to do this. Get help. Make sure that you have professional communication advice there and that you curate or, you know, you're purposeful about what you want to do. You work out the way you are going to navigate that, but certainly get that advice. And then once you have decided to do that, it's far better if you continue that with regularity. If you do a start-stop thing, it's probably not going to be of any benefit to you. And I think when you do commit to that with regularity, you will start to see the benefits. If you do it any other way, you'll just see it as another time imposition and something that isn't adding any value to your business. Certainly, I think it's an exceptional way of connecting with a large cohort of people that you would not normally get the opportunity to do in a day-to-day context. Yeah, definitely. For me, again, as a communicator, when you sit down to develop a communications plan, you always start with your objectives. So starting with why is a 100% suggestion for me. Maybe in addition to that or, or giving some practical tips to other communicators is to be curious and continue to be open-minded about how you can, what tools or what um, tactics you can use to have the impact that you're looking to have. There is a perception about social media that I think we're challenging and particularly, Roger, through your podcast here, that some of the norms or the, the ways of thinking are being removed or eliminated and there is real value in it. And perhaps it's not LinkedIn, perhaps it's something else that will have real cut through and impact on your audiences. And so, yeah, I I encourage people to be curious and find what works best for them. I think it's a lovely skill for every communicator to have curiosity. And if I can try and package 
what both of you have shared and maybe as a final call to arms for the advisors and for the leaders listening today, what I've heard from you, Beck, is the importance of understanding your leader and really helping to bring out their best in this environment. And that's paramount. Of course, you need to have that industry and the context. Um, you need to have a, a good understanding of that to know when and what to say and how to say it and what watch outs to avoid, I suppose. But that channel and that tactical experience, it really is the icing on top, right? It, it's got to be grounded in those strong fundamentals of your leader and audience. And I think also what I heard from you, Amanda, in terms of that advice to leaders, and, and maybe if I can play back to you the example that I've heard through this conversation, leaders set the tone. And leaders empower those people around them. And I think what I heard through Beck's experience as well is by you doing what you've done, you actually unlock an awful lot more stories from your organization. You empower people to themselves feel free to speak up and free to share their story and connect with others and learn and grow together. And I think that's a really, really powerful thing that shouldn't be lost in this conversation around social CEOs. So look, very clear guidance for me from a leader and an advisor on those potential benefits when leaders do step up and seize that opportunity online. Two people who thank you for sharing your story. You, you've been there. You've walked the journey together. You've faced your fair share of challenges as we've heard, but you've also shared the wonderful benefits that you've gained and that they're well worth the effort. So I'd wholeheartedly encourage anyone listening to find and follow both Amanda and Beck on LinkedIn and be sure to tune in to next week's reflection episode where I'll share some very practical advice to help leaders and advisors create a powerful partnership online. Until then, I'm Roger Christie. And thank you for joining me on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.